The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Today on the program, you'll hear a new interview with Dr. Brad Thompson of Uncle. Analytics Biotech, trading as ONC on the TSX and ONCY on the OTCQX. Brad and I will discuss the probability that cancer will become an affliction of the past as we near a cure. You'll hear from Noblest Health trading in the U.S. as HLTH and on the TSX as NHC. We'll hear from Pure Energy Minerals' Robert Mintak, and we'll also check in with Bob Lang, all about automobiles, and his segment called Car Kicks. Happy New Year to our listeners worldwide. I do appreciate your checking in with us every week. 2016 brings a fresh start for many of us, if not all of us, who'd either like to add to what we've been able to build for ourselves individually and for our families, or those of us who'd like to change it up altogether, trying something new. We have an opportunity each day to do so, and every year. That in itself is a revitalization, a personal revitalization. We don't have to wait for others to solve our issues or improve upon our lives. We get to do that for ourselves. Let our issues be a thing of the past, with any constraints that may have existed last year lead to new opportunities this year. Take care of yourself physically and mentally, and it will all fall into place in the positive. In fact, great physical health leads to great mental health, typically. Diet and exercise. You've heard it before. This is not new info. It's repeated info and a reminder to you from me that it works. Cut out the sweets, the heavy carbs, and the starches, the portion sizes. Reduce them. Cut out the carbonated drinks, and boom, you'll notice an immediate difference. Soft drinks alone, whether they are diet drinks, are a source of weight increase. The carbonation in diet drinks, it has salt in it. It attracts water molecules. You're not going to lose weight with a diet soft drink. It won't happen. Eating fruit at night or any sweet, especially during the evening, is not good for you. Eat your fruit early in the day. It turns into sugar, and at night while you sleep, it has nowhere to go, nowhere to burn off. Now, what qualifies me as a health expert? The same thing that qualifies me as a financial guru. Absolutely nothing. I'm a journalist, a life experimenter, and I've successfully experimented with personal weight loss and health through the process of elimination, literally and metaphorically. I just feel better. It's as simple as that. You like to watch movies or TV all the time? Fine. Take it to the gym. And hop on the treadmill, or an elliptical machine, or a stationary bike, and plant your iPad, or your Android device, or large phone in front of you, and burn energy while you entertain your mind. Read an e-book while you work out. Get some new knowledge. All of it works. 
And tell me, after you spend an hour or so in the gym two or three times a week, are you really going to get some ice cream or eat a donut? You probably won't want to. On the other hand, if you do like ice cream and you can't live without it, there are a nice assortment of sugar-free treats in your supermarket freezer. They're there. Don't hurt yourself at the gym, by the way. I'm not advising you to begin lifting heavy weights if you haven't done so. That's not even good if you have done so. It's not smart. Get into a nice diversified routine involving cardio via a treadmill or a stationary bike and work the upper body using light weights. Anything more to begin with, especially if you are 45 plus, might be dangerous. Light weights and repetition, mixing up the machines, are a good thing to do. Now, I'm about 5'9 or so in height. My perfect weight should be around 160 pounds or so, considering my bone and muscle structure. At one time, I was nearly 190 pounds, and most of the weight was around my gut. Extremely unhealthy and just asking, asking for a heart attack. There were folks that were frightened for me, especially since there is a family history of heart and lung disease, and it's not good. I didn't really think I was ever fat, per se, but I've always been a bit vain, luckily. After hearing that I was overweight and sick-looking from enough folks, I got with it and sought out help. It's easy to find. Help, that is, especially with our own personal library and information booth called the Internet at our fingertips. I lost almost 40 pounds within short order, and for my size and body style, that was quite a bit. One of the first things that I did was I cut out soft drinks and sweets and bagels in the morning every day. Bad idea. What are you doing to pile on the pounds? Yes, I felt great, looked even better, and had a lot more energy. People noticed, fed the ego in a necessary way, and improved my attitude, negating most of the depression that definitely comes with being unnecessarily overweight. I coupled the diet with exercise, and it cranked up my endorphins dramatically. That, people, that kills depression. I quit drinking any alcohol whatsoever, never having a drinking problem per se, just noticing how it affected my body, my digestive system, my energy, and my attitude. There's no place for it in any quantity. Now, I'm not suggesting you give up your favorite wine or brew, cognac even. What are you having, one or two glasses of your favorite beverage each week, one per night? I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying once you do... Once you do give that up, you may begin to feel really incredible. Once you begin to change your diet and increase your physical activity and exercise, you won't want to step it down a notch with the drink or two. It's not going to be something you'll be willing to do. With your newfound energy, your personality will come out of the closet, so to speak. You'll be less introverted, and you'll want to engage others for personal and professional reasons both. And in the area of business, you really can't separate work from interpersonal relationships. Without presenting a genuinely positive and healthy demeanor, you're not going to really maintain success in this life. It just won't happen. Or perhaps you've achieved it somehow already. You've achieved success, but you won't maintain it. You won't maintain it unless you maintain yourself. The only thing we can keep for as long as we live is our mind and our body, hopefully. Everything else is replaceable, more easily replaceable than a liver or a kidney. Or a heart, by the way. And why do any of what I'm suggesting? Why do any of it at all? Because why not as it's January 2016? These are not New Year's resolutions that you need to make. It's just a good time to make a positive change in your life. While the year is young. 
I'm not going to fat shame you, and I don't think anyone should be fat shamed, but if I see fit and I happen to run into you, I might gently suggest that you get on a treadmill and quit the donuts. Or I might shout it out, actually. I'll do that now on this radio show where you can't see me or I you. Get on a damn treadmill, will you? Throw the donuts out, fool. And in the words of one of my childhood mentors, the late Oscar Fisher of Woodstock, New York, live life now. I'm Ellis Martin. Happy New Year. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Robert Mintek, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.V and in the U.S. on the OTC as HMGLF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 8,000-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices and hybrid electric vehicles. Pure Energy Minerals recently announced that the company has entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley, not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Now give us some background on your company, if you don't mind. Pure Energy Minerals. We're considered a mining company because we have a mineral resource that we're working to build a project around, but we're more actually a, an evolving company from mining to specialty chemicals and clean energy. Our project's based on is a lithium brine resource in Nevada. Uh, and lithium brine is the mineral resource that's used to extract lithium to create lithium materials for electric car batteries. So the mining process, well, it's a mining, it actually is more of a specialty chemical company because you're taking lithium out of the ground in its natural state in a, in a brine in water, and you're converting it into a very high-quality specialty battery material. That separates you more or less from most mining companies right now. You are more or less a quasi-tech company in that your offtake ultimately will go to the production of batteries for automobiles, and that sector is growing. Yeah, correct. If you look at the current lithium producers, none of them would be considered mining companies. They're all considered specialty chemical companies. The lithium in the world's produced primarily right now, about 90% of it, from four companies. And those incumbent companies have held market control for decades. Originally and continually still, lithium and the production methods that were used to produce lithium materials came from 20th century technologies. Lithium demand in 2015 and moving forward, demand is increasing for high-tech materials for batteries. The incumbent producers have to have a number of steps to upgrade the lithium that they produce into battery material. But new companies like Pure Energy, we're focused on taking that mining concept and evolving it into a technology company which produces high-quality battery materials for clean tech like electric cars or grid storage and using new technologies that eliminate all of the 20th century conventional mining techniques. So when you're supplying electric cars with lithium, currently it's quite an ugly supply chain. So you're producing lithium from either brine, and brine, which is the resource we have in Nevada, brine is salty water that exists in an aquifer below the ground. Most of the world's lithium is produced in South America from brine projects, and they use massive solar evaporation ponds that are five to 10,000 acres, a huge environmental footprint. They are very inefficient with very low recovery rates. So when you look at the supply chain for an electric car, and you're trying to 
philosophically align the purchase potentially, if that's the overriding philosophy for adopting electric cars, is to, to reduce the environmental impact of the vehicles. The supply chain is a key component of that. So currently, lithium is, I wouldn't call it a dirty mineral, but I wouldn't call it a clean one. And the technologies that we're looking at deploying on our project in Nevada eliminate a lot of that environmental footprint. Really the part of the clean tech story that we are building on right now. Well, what I've learned about lithium specifically in that quote-unquote space is that these evaporation ponds are problematic and no one likes them. And if that's in the composite of your company, chances are you're not going to have that much success when you go to produce the minerals and send them to offtake. But this is not a situation regarding your company, is it? No. Our companies went public in 2013. The resource that we are looking to extract lithium from is in Nevada. It's adjacent to the only producing lithium mine in North America in Silver Peak, Nevada. It's owned by a company called Albemarle Specialty Chemicals. They use the evaporation pond model. They have roughly three to 4,000 acres of evaporation ponds. They were permitted in 1966. If you drive into Silver Peak, it's not pleasant to see. And environmental oversight was not where it is today in 1966. There's no way you would ever have a project permitted. When we took the project on, we knew that permitting would be a challenge. Evaporation ponds work in deserts with high evaporation rates. That happens to be where lithium is found in Chile and Argentina, the major producers of lithium, and in Nevada. Evaporation ponds were great for the time, but they're highly inefficient and they're detrimental to the water table. So unfortunately, even though there's a lithium resource there and you have the evaporation opportunity with solar evaporation, it's very detrimental to the fresh water, and fresh water in a desert is one of the most important things. So when we took the project on, we knew those fatal flaws, they didn't align with the way we wanted to build the project. We were very fortunate in that the focus on electric vehicles and grid storage has not just aligned with our belief that we can change the way lithium and mining is done for clean energy projects. But there's other technology partners that we're working with around the world that we're on the same train of thought. And they're developing technologies that will be soon to be commercialized, not just hopefully on our project, but in other projects around the world that eliminate the environmental footprint that lithium currently has when you're producing materials for batteries. And those are coming to market coincidentally in time with what we believe will be the adoption of electric vehicles. So you can begin to erase the dirty raw material supply that a lot of people assign to electric cars and the way materials for them are built. Now, I know that the state of Nevada is very aggressive in attracting industry, industry like the space that you're involved in. And I know that recently they won Tesla as a place to host their battery production asset. How do you figure into that equation? But Pure Energy was looking at lithium projects around the world to find an asset. We Originally, we identified lithium brine, so lithium in solution, as the lowest cost producer because most of the world's lithium is produced from brine, currently from evaporation ponds. And unfortunately, most of the lithium resources in the world are in jurisdictions that can be politically challenging in South America, in Chile and Argentina. The only producing mine for lithium is in Nevada, and it's in Clayton Valley. So we circled the world and the circle got smaller and we chose a project in Nevada in 2013. It was before the Gigafactory announcement. So the Gigafactory announcement from Tesla really added wind to our sales and helped not just our project, but it added a lot of attention to the lithium space. Our specific zip code 
in Nevada and being a lithium brine project also helped over the 2014-2015 time frame as we've been developing our project. It drew a lot of attention to our project and we're one of two companies that have signed conditional supply agreements with Tesla for the Gigafactory. There's a project in Mexico that has signed the supply agreement and Pure Energy is the only other company that has signed one. Our project is strategically located just three and a half hours away from Sparks where they're building the Gigafactory. So we were very fortunate in getting in at the right time before all of the attention that was brought to Nevada because of the uh, Gigafactory. But our belief in the project coincided with the choice for Nevada because Nevada is one of the greatest jurisdictions to do business in the world. Pure Energy is a Vancouver-based company and our team has built projects around the world, including in Canada, and it can be a jurisdictional nightmare to permit. Nevada, we've had amazing support from the state. At every instance when we've required required assistance or support. The governor's office in Nevada and the local Esmeralda County where our project is has been very vocal on their support and interest in seeing our project move forward. Now when you go to your website there is a video about a pilot plant in Israel that you are going to be using to test I'm assuming the minerals for purity. Yeah one of the unique benefits that Pure Energy has, and we've been able to nurture relationships. We're a small startup company. With, if you look at our website, we've got a, a very good board of directors with experience on mining projects around the world, and our management team has experience on project developments, taking them from conception to production. Lithium projects are challenging in that it's taking a mineral from a resource based in water and turning it into a, a high-purity battery material, which could, for some companies, entail millions of dollars of investment in R&D. We're fortunate that we're working with two of the world's leading technologies for lithium processing. The pilot plant you're speaking of in Israel is owned by a company called Tenova Bateman. Tenova Bateman's a multi-billion dollar mining equipment supplier who specializes in solvent extraction. And they have a technology that replaces evaporation ponds using a solvent extraction process where you pump brine in to the plant. A lithium-specific solvent is used to strip the lithium from the brine. The brine is scrubbed and re-injected into the aquifer. It's a real simple diagram of building. It's more complex than that, but we've booked their pilot plant to begin process testing brine from our project in Nevada. And what this enables us at a very low cost to our investors and with an extremely experienced research team in Israel is to leapfrog other projects in the world that are looking to bring resources to market. The Bateman facility is a state-of-the-art facility in Israel, and the mini pilot plant work we're doing this Q1 of 2016 will allow us what we believe and Bateman believes to show operating and capital costs that will be amongst the world's best for producing the battery materials that companies like Tesla and other battery companies are after. So Tesla ultimately is not going to be your only uh, potential client. No, our intention is to, with the Tenova Bateman process, our intention is to be able to produce different lithium chemistries at the same facility. So pumping raw brine into the facility and producing lithium hydroxide, that's what our contract with Tesla is for, but also be able to produce lithium carbonate or other high-purity battery materials depending on what the customer needs. And being able to specially tailor those materials would make us unique in the world. Most of the lithium supply in the world is produced and converted either into a lithium carbonate, not at battery grade, or a lithium concentrate, and then shipped from its source in South America or Australia or China to a final polishing or chemical processing plant. The technologies we're looking to deploy in Nevada eliminate all of that gap between production and final purity materials. So 
having more than one customer will allow us, when we can make it into production, to have much more control on our margins and have the availability to be unique in the marketplace. And you've nearly uh, zeroed your transportation costs. You can literally walk the product across the street, can't you? Yeah, in Nevada, with the Gigafactory in Sparks, it's about a four-hour drive. And Nevada is really becoming a hub for clean tech. Everyone thinks of Las Vegas and gaming in Nevada, but Nevada is diversifying its economy. Just today, the state of Nevada announced a billion-dollar electric car company moving into North Las Vegas, Faraday. There's other battery companies in Nevada that nobody talks about. K2 Energy has a battery factory in Henderson, Nevada. So the economy in Nevada is is evolving, but potential production from our project were ideally located as well for exporting. We're only six hours to the port of Los Angeles. You've got to have a large resource to engage in all the projects that you have in mind. Uh, Let's talk about the asset on the ground. What attracted us to Clayton Valley, where our project is, is that there's an existing producer there. So lithium brine being a water resource, we are quite confident that with our project being directly adjacent to the current producer, we would have success in exploration and drilling and having a similar chemistry to the brine that they're currently producing from. So in 2014 and 2015, we did exploration drilling work and extensive seismic reflection work, and that allowed us to produce the only 43101 inferred resource on a lithium brine project in North America to date. So for the people who don't know what a 43101 is, we're Toronto Stock Exchange venture listed company and a Canadian mining company needs to follow certain protocols on reporting and technical reports on resources. So the 43101 is the designation given to a report written by a third party qualified person. So the exploration work we did in 2014 2015 allowed the publication of a 43101 with a inferred resource of 816,000 tons lithium carbonate equivalent. Lithium carbonate equivalent, or LCE, is used as a benchmark for identifying lithium resources or lithium reserves. And that number really got attention from a lot of people because it showed that Nevada has a real opportunity and that as we build from the inferred resource to move to indicated resource and feasibility and we we build on that with further exploration programs and that number becomes more de-risked, it shows the potential for a very large and long-life mining, especially chemical process company, to be established. 25, 50 years, 100 years? Yeah, I would never go past 50 to 100 years is outside of my life expectancy, <laughs> but I would anticipate for the remainder of my life. So the 20 to 25 years is in the goal of what any project economics have to work for. How are you financed going forward? We're actually in a very fortunate position. If you follow mining stocks, you'll find that most companies right now are struggling to raise attention or have any one give them any money. The lithium space is one of the few attractive spots in the mining sector right now. And we've been fortunate over the last year and a half that our stock price has been very strong. In 2014, we raised just under $4 million, which allowed us to bring our 43101 into publication. And it allowed us to do some preliminary bench scale work in Israel with Tonova Bateman and acquire additional land package. Our land package right now is just over 9,000 acres in Clayton Valley. With the strong share price that we have now, our $3.8 million financing that was done in 2014 came along with warrants. So all the warrants that are attached to that, those financings are in the money. We have about, today's date, between $1.5 and $1.6 million in the bank, and we have around just over $3 million in warrants that are in the money, and we're receiving warrants being executed weekly. So those warrants expire, a large portion of them, in June 2016. The exploration program we're doing right now in Clayton Valley, we anticipate to 
close sometime in early Q1 2016, it's fully financed. And to get to the work for the PEA, as long as we receive the warrants that we expect, that program's fully financed as well. So we're in a unique position where most companies are out looking for money. Our shareholders have been very strong, and we have an opportunity to be non-dilutive right now. Let's talk about that share structure for a minute. I know you're trading somewhere around 47 cents Canadian. The offerings we did in 2014 were at 10 cents and 20 cents, so we're trading around 47. I believe our year high was close to a dollar around the announcement that we made in September with Tesla. We have very high volume trading, so we're a very liquid stock, but we believe the next value milestones that we're looking to establish will build upon that. We believe that as we move through this exploration program and produce the next 43101 on the reserve and move through pilot plant work with Tenova this Q1 2016 and produce a PEA, Preliminary Economic Assessment, in 2016. We believe those are significant milestones which I believe will enhance our share value. That's our intention is to build value with these milestones. So we think that there's significant opportunities in the very near future. Fantastic. Anything you can talk about coming down the pike about 12 months out? Well, the significant ones, as I just mentioned, were the exploration program that's ongoing now with drilling in Nevada. Our work is to try to grow the inferred resource report that we've published. And then the work that's being done in Israel at a mini pilot plant with Tonova Bateman, publication of the OPEX and CAPEX numbers from that, we believe will be significant attention getters. My work with Tonova and my experience with them and their success on other minerals using solvent extraction has always been, if you look at their storied history, they've always been able to succeed at what they've put in front of them. Our work with them with lithium, we believe will reflect a similar outcome. If you don't mind, a quick overview of your board of directors and yourself. I'm the CEO of the company. My background isn't in mining. It's in brick and mortar operations and ensuring that balance sheets maintain transparency and projects stay on budget. I've also, over the last four years, been fortunate to develop a very extensive network in the lithium space with C-level connections at some of the largest companies in Asia and with technology processors like Tenova. Our management team is world-class. We're a small startup company partnered with multi-billion dollar companies, which help, we believe, towards building a successful project. Our COO, Andy Robinson, is a PhD geochemist, hydrogeologist. He's taken projects around the world, water projects, because we have a water projects, from conception into production. Our VP of Business Development, Alexei Zawadsky, is a trained hydrologist, water expert as well, who's built clean energy projects around the world. Patrick Highsmith is a director who just joined Pure Energy just last month, is a geochemist as well with a success record in the lithium space. He was the CEO and COO of Lithium One, one of the few success stories in the first lithium bubble that started in 2009. He developed the Sol de Vida project in Argentina and successfully sold that to Galaxy Resources for $112 million in 2012. We also have the world's foremost ranking expert on continental brines, Professor Leanne Monk from the University of Alaska. She's the go-to person for the USGS on anything to do with lithium brine in the world. She's our technical advisor on the project. We also have a very stellar board of directors. One of our board of directors, Mary Little, sits on the board of directors for Sandstorm Gold, New York Stock Exchange listed company, and Bob Cross, also one of our advisors. He's the chairman of B2 Gold and Bankers Petroleum. 
both New York Stock Exchange. Well, Robert, it's been a great pleasure learning about your company today. I'm sure our audience has some questions, and they can certainly contact us through the show, and we'll feed those questions to you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the program. I really appreciate being on here. And aside from an investment opportunity, it's a very fun project to watch because we're trying to build something that is, if successful, will change the way materials for electric vehicles are made. Well, that's quite a bold statement, but I believe actually that you can back it up. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Robert Mintag, CEO of Pure Energy Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as PE.V, and in the U.S. on the OTC as HMGLF. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. I'm Ellis Martin. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX and ONC on the TSX. Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company focused on the development of oncolytic viruses as potential therapeutics for use in a broad range of cancers. The company is conducting clinical studies using Reolice and its proprietary formulation of the human Reovirus and some of the most prevalent forms of the disease, including lung, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers. How closer are we to finding a cure for cancer than we were five years ago? The last five years have been the most exciting from a development perspective time for working in the cancer field. I think if you'd asked me that question five years ago, I would have said you know, 20 to 30 years. I think we are certainly within my generation of actually coming up with an effective group of therapies for most or all cancers. It's an amazing thing to be able to say that out loud. So we'll be able to say it some point in the future, cancer has been cured much like polio has been, correct? Exactly. I'm actually very comfortable saying that now. It's such a wonderful thing to be able to say out loud. It's just been such a change in the entire area and the perspective. And, and it's almost like every day there's a new advance and a different cancer coming out. I think that's the trajectory we're on. I think we're going to be able to actually say that and not just hope for it. The cure for cancer in the future, I think we're not that far away from being able to say, at least to, to some patients or many patients, I think we can make it better. That's just really quite nice. Well, I know you've been through it when you hear the words from the physician. We've seen some evidence of possible cancer. If you've heard that from your doctor, it may not be the death blow that anybody's been experiencing in the past. Absolutely. I mean, there's some of the childhood leukemias when a generation ago or two generations ago were, you know, I mean, they were death sentences. And now we have 80, 85, 90% cure rate. I mean, it's a complete turnaround with some of these cancers. And we're just trying to, as an industry and as a medical community, trying to spread that to other cancers as well. And, and we're trying to see some real major advances. I mean, melanoma is a good example. You know, when I got it, and that wasn't that long ago, it was a real concern. Everybody was really concerned. It wasn't just a few patients. And now it's a much bigger subset of patients that actually have a pretty good, oh, I'm never going to get this again prognosis if you get it early. It's just a complete change. And it's so nice. But we want to be able to do that with all cancers. We want to be able to say, well, okay, you got pancreatic cancer. Not everybody in the office go, <gasps> no. That's where we'd like to be going. I mean, there's some cancers that are still extremely serious and have very poor prognosis. What kind of prevention can we undergo? So many times people are caught in stage three or stage four cancer and maybe too late. So uh, what are we not doing as a society to take care of early detection? Diagnosis 
can make the biggest difference. I mean, if you get a person at an earlier stage of cancer, the chances of them having a good outcome go up exponentially. It is such a difference. A lot of it is the spread of self-awareness. The internet is such a powerful tool for people to actually be able to say there's something wrong and have some content behind it. That's the first part. But I mean, a lot of the cancers, it's just the screening technologies have changed so dramatically in just the last few years. We're starting to get to the point now where we can actually just do urine tests and blood tests to really detect cancer quite early as opposed to having going in for scans and biopsies and all those sorts of things that prevent people from getting diagnosed early. I mean, people don't like to give you a low-dose radiation tracer and stick you in a scanner just to see maybe if you're sick or not. But to give somebody a cup and tell them to go into the bathroom for a urine sample, that's easy. And we're starting to get the tests to do that. That is going to make more difference on a than the therapies that I spend my time developing. Well, you spend a lot of time developing therapies. And in fact, uh, I might say that Oncolytics Biotech is sort of a one-stop shop for several types of cancer with regard to cure. And that's through your Reolice and Reovirus-based technology. Let's talk about that. Well, one of my colleagues actually said it in a way that I had never heard it said before. He has a very long depth of experience. He has many product approvals under his belt, as it were, in the cancer area. And he said that Reolice reminds him very much from a developmental perspective of the old line chemotherapies. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, because it looks like it works on at least a percentage of everything. And, you know, it's like if, if you say cancer X or Y or Z, you'll look at me and go, well, yeah, we did a study and it looked like it worked on 5 or 10 or 20 or 40 or 50% of the patient. And that just reminded him very much of, of the way chemos used to be. Not the side effect profile. I mean, our side effect profile is quite a lot better than that. You know, you do develop a therapy for breast cancer. You develop a therapy for pancreatic cancer. You're not developing a therapy for all cancers. And real license is, I think, unique in that way is that it looks like it's working at least on a percentage of pretty much every cancer we treat. And it's, our job is to be to transform that finally in the end to getting it approved and getting it out so people can treat a lot of cancers. We've had a couple of really, I think, astounding discoveries in the last 18 months or so where it looks like real license actually works with this new class of drugs that everybody's talking about, which are called checkpoint inhibitors, which are responsible for some of the amazing changes that we've seen in responses in patients. And they work with the immune system. And real license looks like it's a universal potentiator for that entire drug class. It makes one of the drugs in that drug class work better, at least in animal models. So we're just a to start looking at that in patients, hopefully before the end of this year, but certainly by early next year in January, we should be treating patients with real license combined with a checkpoint inhibitor. And that's a major, major developmental step for us. It really does give you a different perspective, honestly, when you take a look at what you're doing every day when you come into work. Well, that's huge. I mean, once you've got FDA approval and once the clinical trials have been completed, how long will it be before real license therapy becomes part of the vernacular like chemo is? It's a very rapid transformation when there's a new product approved and the uptake, particularly in the United States. I mean, the United States has the most advanced cancer therapy for patients in the world. And part of that is because there's such rapid uptake of new products. So, I mean, if I got a product approval from the FDA, say, on a Friday, your first sales would literally be hitting patients on the following Monday. The medical community in the United States is that good at uptake on new products when they're approved. It's not anywhere like that anywhere else in the world. You know, the American public has the real benefit of being in a healthcare system that adopts that quickly. So if we're talking, uh, you know, American doctors, that's one story. If we're talking the rest of the world doctors, it takes a bit longer. I mean, it can take in Canada, for example, it can take a couple of years to actually get reimbursement in place. In the UK, it can take 18 months. In Germany, it can take 
two to three years. In the United States, it's three days. It's quite a benefit to being treated in the U.S. healthcare system, I have to say. I'm feeling that this is very positive news overall. This is a financial program, and as a potential investor in your company, the upside could be incredible with something of that nature. Could it not be? I would think so. I mean, the nice thing about biotech, put it a tiny plug for the entire industry, is that what drives valuation in our companies is typically clinical data in, in humans, in people. It's really a very much an on-off switch on valuation that's very much correlated with you know clinical outcomes. In 2016, we're expecting to report clinical data on a four or five randomized clinical studies, and you know where you've got patients on a test and a control arm, and the control arm doesn't get your drug, and the test arm they do, and you can compare that within this study, and that kind of data is are the valuation events that drive very rapid and hopefully very good changes in the valuation of a company like ours, and not just ours, other companies as well. It's one of the, the interesting, exciting things about investing in biotechnology companies is there's always this potential. You're not looking at 2 to 3 or 5% growth in a stock. When you show that your product works, you usually see very superior returns, and that, that's what makes it exciting to invest in the area. Radiation therapy and chemotherapy, while they may be effective in many cases, it's really, really, really hard on the body, from what I've seen, and from speaking with many cancer patients over the years. How does the realicin therapy uh, affect the body, to your knowledge? Well, realicin has a very, I think, well-understood side effect profile now, From and that's always something people need to focus on. I mean, people used to focus on acute toxicity, stuff that happened very quickly, and then they found that patients that were being treated for one or two or three years all of a sudden started showing toxicity that's important. So it's important to actually categorize the toxicity of any new agent. Realicin has, I think, a, a very well understood side effect profile now. I mean, we've treated more than a thousand patients and so you, the, the one in a thousand event is starting to occur and for some very long duration. Most long duration patient is, is about to start cycle 60. So 60 cycles of therapy that happen every three to four weeks. So you're talking coming up on four years now of monthly realicent therapy and the side effect profile is very consistent. The patients on usually day two or day three of a five-day cycle get a low-grade fever. I mean a degree or degree and a half. They feel tired and that's pretty much it. I mean that's generally what they feel like. Uh, a small percentage get a little low-grade diarrhea and things like that. But there's no lasting effects. Once they come off, they're done. And the very interesting thing is that the longer you're on it, the less side effects you have. And so that patient that's about to start cycle 60 actually doesn't have any side effects anymore. You know, she comes in and she gets her stuff and she goes home and she's fine. It's like a trip to the store. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And we watch for side effects actually more early than late, which is completely backwards to radiation and, and chemotherapy, which have cumulative toxicity. So there's plenty of clinical trials going on throughout the year. And basically, you're waiting for results, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, we're about to start a couple of new studies, which are kind of exciting. But we have active studies ongoing now, I think, in seven different cancers. And that we, we should have data reporting on all next year. That's why we're in business, is to treat specific cancers and to be able to report on that to you know, our shareholders, primarily. Everybody has instance of cancer, either in their family or circle of friends. You can't live this life and not be exposed to it in some capacity. How does one find out about the clinical trials related to Realicin and Oncolytics Biotech in North America? Well, I mean, that's a great advantage, again, to being in the United States, is that the clinical trials that are conducted in the United States are all listed on a site called ClinTrial trials.gov. You can just go to that site and either search by disease. So if you have pancreatic cancer, you can just type in pancreatic cancer and it will give you all the clinical trials that are being done in the United States 
on pancreatic cancer. So you can actually, as a patient or a doctor, look for how you can get on those studies. And if you're interested in getting on a, you know, a specific study like real license, type in real license and hit the button and it'll tell you all the different real license studies that are ongoing in the states that are active at this time. It's a great tool and it is the only place in the world that has that tool. And what's that website again? It's CLIN, like C-L-I-N, trials, T-R-I-A-L-S, like all one word, .gov. And if people just Google clintrials.gov, and it'll take you straight to the website. Brad, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining me on the program today. Well, thank you very much. I've been speaking with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX and ONC on the TSX. Listen to the segment again on our website or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Do you have questions that need answers about our sponsor companies? Contact them. Find the logos of all our sponsors on the homepage of our website. Click on them and learn more about our client companies. EllisMartinReport.com And now, here's Bob Lang. Welcome to Car Kicks. Look who nabbed the 2016 Motor Trend Car of the Year. It's the new 2016 Camaro. It's proven itself to be more than a worthy competitor to the new Mustang. The current ZL1 has tongues wagging and Chevy fans excited for sure, and with good reason. While Mustang was sales king last year with its new and exciting design and independent rear suspension, the new Camaro looks to steal the thunder and bring the Pony Wars title back to GM. Now, the Corvette has firmly established itself as a world beater at a value price with high quality, great fuel economy, and style. But fear not, Ford fans, not only are the Pony Wars doing just fine, but it's better than it ever was. Ford has the Shelby GT350 and 350R. The Shelby GT350, with its flat, plain crank and its 8,000-plus redline, is still as exciting as a pretty girl to a young sailor on shore leave. Ford has been busy. In the last 12 months, they've filed a record number of patents covering autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles, and even e-bikes. Add to that the Focus RS, extreme Mustang sales, hotter-than-a-pistol F-150 sales, and the new Shelby GT350 with an under-50K list, and the 350R, and you have a company that is more than on the men from the recession. But are we still the most important market for U.S. auto companies? GM is about to start selling Buicks made in China to U.S. customers. Most automakers today have over-the-border manufacturing. But what do you think of U.S. automakers building in China and selling that product in the USA, where good jobs are still needed? Join the conversation on our Facebook page at K-A-R-K-I-X. Car Kicks. Time now for the Car Kicks Car Quiz. What brand of car did General Motors drop that ended over 100 years of production? A. Oldsmobile. B. Saturn. C, Hummer, or D, Pontiac? We'll have the answer in just a moment. Just like to take a moment and call out carparts.com. It isn't just a website, it's a team of people dedicated to getting you the right part at the best price. My experience with them was excellent. The part arrived damaged from shipping. It was expensive and heavy. Carparts.com didn't miss a beat. With one contact to customer service, a new part was flying on its way fast. Try Carparts.com. They have over a million parts and accessories. They have high-performance parts that'll help your engine churn out more power, or just that hard-to-find replacement part. Their large selection of parts combined with their user-friendly interface makes shopping easy. Finding your needed components is a snap because of the features on their site. They offer a low-price guarantee as well. With every product that they offer, shipping is fast. As I said, my experience was absolutely stress-free. Excellent customer service and no-sweat problem resolution. I endorse them as a quality provider. Use CarParts.com next time you need a part for your daily driver, hot rod, classic, or off-road vehicle. CarParts.com. 
And now back to our Car Kicks Car Quiz. What brand of car did General Motors drop that ended over 100 years of production? The answer, A. Ransom E. Olds began the Oldsmobile Company in 1897. In its 107-year history, it produced 35.2 million cars. But it was Oldsmobile that was over 100 years old when GM decided to end production in April of 2004. Pontiac was an automobile brand that was established in 1926 as a companion make for General Motors Oakland. GM continued to consolidate brands and ended Pontiac production in late 2009. Join us next time for another Car Kicks Car Quiz. With fuel prices down and Americans buying near-record numbers of pickups and SUVs, some people are calling for the EPA to roll back or even abandon the 54.5 fleet MPG mandate set to take effect in 2025. But a former EPA official who helped write the standard says automakers should be looking for even bigger gains, something closer to 180 miles per gallon. How? That's not the bureaucrats' problem. It's the automakers. How to pay for their innovation is going to be our problem. Volkswagen, on the other hand, has had Dieselgate and quite the management purge and spin. But the public has a short memory, and a snappy-looking EV microbus at CES would make them forget that VW ever had a diesel, especially if it has the styling cues of the old VW bus. Makes like Subaru, who had an outstanding year in 2015, have other problems. Their big worry is can they hire enough people in Indiana as they expand U.S. production. Car sales rocked this past year. Incentives were part of the market share capture philosophy. But the variety of models, options, and warranty and service plans will keep them coming back to the dealer for more revenue enhancement. Customer experience will get even better as the battle for shoppers gets to max apex. New apps like TrueCar and Cars Direct, sales models like CarMax and others give a coverage to the car buying experience like never before. You can expect even more opportunities to buy a car online, click-click, show up, drive away. Just imagine that. Stay tuned. There's more to come in just a moment. Green tech, clean tech, biotech, and just tech. Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities at our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Bob Lang. Carl Icahn decided to buy Pep Boys for one B as in boy billion dollars. His reason is that he believes the aging U.S. automotive fleet will flood his repair bays with old cars needing repair. This in the face of record new car sales. Bridgestone was also interested in buying Pep Boys, but backed down from what would surely become a crazy bidding war. Bridgestone did manage to get a $39.5 million termination fee that Carl Icahn will pay on behalf of Pep Boys. Carl Icahn also owns 82% of Federal Mogul, which owns about 20 parts brands, including Champion Spark Plugs, Anco Wiper Blades, and Wagner Brake Parts. Icahn also owns Uniselect USA, an automotive parts distribution business. Pep Boys' 800 locations will be a great complement to the rest of the Icahn holdings. We'll just have to see how all this manifests itself on the storefront. Move over, Manny, Moe, and Jack. Make room for Carl. What do you think Carl Icahn has planned for Pep Boys? Join the conversation on our Facebook page at K-A-R-K-I-X. When was the last time you heard anything about the Russian car industry? The Russian government has decided to put $275 million into helping out the struggling car industry, which was hit by a 43% year-on-year decline in November. The decline is mostly due to Russia's recession fueled by Western sanctions over the Ukraine. The Russian car market usually sells 2.5 million cars a year, but this year their projection is about one and a third million. 
so the move will likely help the car market survive. Tough economic times in the Russian car market will continue for a while. If you love cars, your bucket list should include the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles. It's just gone through a huge renovation, and with its 100,000-plus square feet, be sure to wear comfortable shoes. The museum's focus is to collect and preserve historic vehicles, and the exhibits rotate, so there's always something new to see. Most of the collection resides on-site, but some of the cars are borrowed for specific exhibits. The Peterson Automotive Museum is located on Fairfax and Wilshire Boulevard at one end of the historic Miracle Mile. While you're there, if you don't mind leaving your backpack and photography gear behind, you can tour the vault. Filled with award-winning hot rods, Hollywood legendary film cars, residential limousines, and even a tucker. But if you prefer to do it yourself, there's a self-guided tour available for the galleries. You can call or email to find out what exhibits are featured now and what your options are for touring the Peterson. Their website is peterson.org. Time now for the Car Kicks Car Quiz. Who wrote a book critical of one specific car? And what car was discontinued as a result? A. Eugene McCarthy, the Edsel. B. Tom Clancy, the Pinto. C. Art Modell, the Fairlane. Or D. Ralph Nader, the Corvair. We'll have the answer in just a moment. Just like to take a moment and call out CarParts.com. It isn't just a website, it's a team of people dedicated to getting you the right part at the best price. My experience with them was excellent. The part arrived damaged from shipping. It was expensive and heavy. CarParts.com didn't miss a beat. With one contact to customer service, a new part was flying on its way fast. Try CarParts.com. They have over a million parts and accessories. They have high-performance parts that'll help your engine churn out more power, or just that hard-to-find replacement part. Their large selection of parts combined with their user-friendly interface makes shopping easy. Finding your needed components is a snap because of the features on their site. They offer a low price guarantee as well with every product that they offer. Shipping is fast. As I said, my experience was absolutely stress-free. Excellent customer service and no sweat problem resolution. I endorse them as a quality provider. Use CarParts.com next time you need a part for your daily driver, hot rod, classic, or off-road vehicle. CarParts.com and now the answer to the Car Kicks Car Quiz. The answer is D. Ralph Nader wrote Unsafe at Any Speed about the Corvair. GM's omission of an anti-sway bar may have led to poor handling issues on earlier Corvairs. Automotive journalist David E. Davis, in a 2009 article in Automobile Magazine, criticized Nader for purportedly focusing on the Corvair while ignoring other contemporary vehicles with swing axle rear suspensions, including cars from Porsche and Volkswagen. Join us next time for another Car Kicks Car Quiz. When it's the dead of winter in January, everybody heads to Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's sunny and warm and there's tons of cars to look at. But then spring comes along and Carlisle, Pennsylvania is the place to be for the Carlisle Collector Swap Meet Corral and Auction in April, April 20th to the 24th to be exact. And there'll be thousands of collector and classic car enthusiasts from around the country crawling over 150 acres to buy, sell, or just take pictures and celebrate the automotive mecca that Carlisle has become. With thousands of vendors and thousands of cars surrounded by passionate classic hot rod and custom car enthusiasts, it should be on every car enthusiast's bucket list. And it's only 10 bucks for a day or 30 bucks for the whole show. That's a great deal for so much car enthusiast entertainment. For Car Kicks, I'm Bob Lang. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, 
Here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for an interview with Michael Nelson, the Vice President of Operations for Nobilis Health Corp, trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol NHC.to. Nobilis Health strategically partners with physicians in the development and management of Ambulatory Surgical Centers, or ASC, with the mission of providing superior medical care, increased patient satisfaction, and lower costs for health care delivery. Michael, give us a snapshot of your background, if you don't mind. A little bit of a traditional health care operation. I got a degree in opera and ill management TCU up in Fort Worth. I came to grad school to Houston. I got an MBA and MHA focused in healthcare administration. Did a fellowship in the medical center at Harris Health. Had a chance to kind of see big, huge, multi-billion dollar health system. And from a ground up standpoint, individual facilities. Ran group practices, interventional cardiology practices for a little bit. I guess this past year, moved over to Nobles and have oversight for our operations and oversight for our facilities across our markets. It seems like you have a fairly broad scope of responsibilities. With alone just your experience in the construction of medical facilities, your presence is integral in Nobilis's future expansion aspirations. Actually, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of background here and there all over the place. We just started at 501A, that is a not-for-profit healthcare organization focused on physicians. A lot of the large major health systems have moved to that model, becoming more of an integrated health system, allowing us to actually employ physicians, bringing them into that model. Group practice background is definitely helpful. That's going to allow us to kind of expand and, and have another option for a lot of our physicians and surgeons out there. Construction-wise, I had a chance to be part of about a $350 million capital construction program at previous health system at Harris Health. I had a little bit of construction, actually started out since I was very young, uh, kind of the construction industry came from that background with family and actually where I get interested in healthcare. When you go into a hospital with a general contractor and just kind of see how it's set up, if you can figure out how to run one of these things, you can kind of do anything. It is one of the most wonderful places to be. We're the highest cognitive industry and everyone has their place to go, knows what to do. We provide excellent, excellent patient care. So having a look at that background is pretty important from patient flow standpoint, looking at growth opportunities, which we have been pretty significant here in the last year since I've been there. Went from about a $31 million revenue to about 83 this past year, 2014, and we're projecting about 147% increase this year to around $205 million of revenue. So rapid, rapid growth and need a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds to help move that forward. Can we look forward to seeing more neighborhood-oriented ASCs? We are really becoming more of an integrated health system. We have focused on looking for hospital opportunities. We do have the ASCs that serve our different markets. With the integration of our APHIS group, which we just acquired, gives us a little more visibility into about seven states now where we have relationships and or owner-operate facilities. And then we are focusing on a lot of ancillaries. Historically, we've been focused strictly on outpatient centers and outpatient surgery. Now we have an opportunity through our direct consumer program, marketing program, patients always have a place to go now, especially in Houston where we just had interest in the hospital in Bel Air. That patient that may have back pain can come in and see our pain doctor, but it's a place that they need to have inpatient surgery or inpatient care. We have a place for them to go now. That's really the focus. We are looking to expand our market. We are looking to expand types of services that we provide. And again, becoming that a little more of that integrated health system focus on ancillary services. Past year, we've got an arrangement where we have urgent care centers and MRI centers up in the Willowbrook area that help integrate with our health system. We want to have a place to call home for our patients. What I've learned from interviewing your management team is that marketing is a strategic component of your growth strategy at Nobilis. It really is a phenomenal support. That is truly our solid competitive advantage in our market with ACES acquisition with Chris Lloyd and team coming on board. It's taken our programs 
to a new level. It's reduced our cost per acquisition for patients, and it's allowed us to reach a huge population. We've got a significant percentage of those patients that are coming into our facilities from out of state. And so we're able to really kind of go national with this program. From an operations standpoint, it's great support because a lot of our doctors that may not have huge volumes, we can definitely help source some of those patients into our health system. It's great for our programs to help keep volume in, and we're able to reach out to that patient directly. And again, like I said, going out to 11 different markets in seven states now, it's been a huge, huge opportunity for growth for us, and it's allowed us to focus on a lot of those high-margin cases and a lot of the high-margin population to bring into our system that would help the growth opportunity. So certainly great program, great for the community, great for our markets, and great for the health systems overall. And like I said, I think that's really what sets us apart from the other health systems out there. We've got a world-class marketing company, a world-class marketing team that can reach out and identify a lot of the needs in the community. I've been speaking with Michael Nelson, Vice President of Operations for Noblest Health, trading on the TSX under the symbol NHC.to. That's NHC.to. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.